Folks, welcome back to the podcast on everything. I'm your host, Dan Berlin. I have a very special episode um, for this one. Growing up, I was a huge basketball fan, as you all know. I played it. I still coach. I'm a huge Tar Heel fan. Um, But growing up, being a huge basketball fan, I would watch about four hours of basketball a night in my room. And I grew up in the late 90s. And I watched college basketball nonstop. My dad was a big basketball fan. And I was more into watching the men play. My dad was like, you should start watching some women. They know how to do the fundamentals. I'm like, it's whatever. But then he's like, no, there's this woman that plays on this team out West. You need to really pay attention to. So I started watching some games of this, uh, girl named Jackie Styles, and I was like, okay, she's she can ball. She's pretty good. All right. And my dad's like, this is what I want you guys to do in the game. So I started following Jackie, and when I really was like, wow, this girl is amazing, was when she put up 41 points against Duke, and being a UNC fan, that to me was like the ultimate thing you could do, was knock Duke out in the tournament. So right after that, I just like fell in love with her career and had followed it ever since. And she has joined me on the podcast. And when I first started this podcast, I had a top 10 of who I wanted on this podcast um, before it ended. And Miss Styles was one of them. And I just want to say uh, thank you, Jackie, for joining the podcast. Um, for those of you that are not aware of who Jackie Styles is, she is a former WNBA player former NCAA record holder for total points in her career, a Wade Trophy winner for best female college basketball player, 2001 WNBA Rookie of the Year, women's basketball enshrined in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, Kansas Sports Hall of Fame, and she also has countless other awards. Um, she currently is a personal trainer, motivational speaker. She runs basketball camps, lessons, and is – opening up some things that you'll talk about. The list goes on and on um, for your career. But um, thank you, Jackie, for joining the podcast and wanting to share your life, your experience, and give some motivation to a lot of youth that um, listen to the podcast and that have looked up to you that I've mentioned. So just thank you, Jackie, for joining the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for having me on. And I'm honored that I I made your top 10 list. Wow, I can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. um, Just just like watching you play Duke in that game, and I just rewatched it before we did this. And I was like, wow, like (laughs) Mm -hmm. like just just the way you played basketball and you were just fearless. And I just – I brought back memories growing up. And I was like, I wanted to be like that. I wanted to put up 41 points and knock Duke out of the tournament. <laughs> I never did because I'm six feet tall. And <laughs> at yeah. that time when I played in high school, I was about 5'1", five, 5'2". Five, so I didn't grow until after I kind of left the sport. So it's it's always great to to have someone like you on the podcast um, that has lived it all. But um, let's start from you growing up. You came from a small town of about 600 roughly, what made growing up in such a small town conducive to being such a good 
tough basketball player? Well, originally, you know, everybody thought I'd have to move to a, a bigger school, a bigger town to be able to live out my basketball dreams. But I truly believed I could do it in Claflin, Kansas. And so much of that was the people I was surrounded by. I was so fortunate that my dad was a basketball coach and he coached the varsity boys at my high school. And I would just, as a little girl, I remember I'd go follow him to the gym and he would, you know, show me a fundamental and I would work on it on the sideline while he was coaching his teams. And then I couldn't wait to show him that I could master it. And that's kind of how I fell in love with uh, the game of basketball. And I even told my second grade teacher I was going to play professional basketball. And that was before the WNBA even existed. So I just had that vision that basketball was you know, what I wanted to be good at. I was just so passionate about it at a young age. age. And I think that a lot had to do with my dad, um, you know, just watching him coach. And, and um, you know, I was just so supported. In, in a small town, there's not many distractions. I mean, I was a four-sport athlete because you had to. Most everybody had to play every sport so we could have those teams. And so that's just what you did year-round is play sports. And like I said, there wasn't many distractions. Um. Do you recommend that kids play multiple sports, even if they're exceptional at one in particular? Like you said, you you just did this all the time. Like that's just something you did growing up. But now a lot of a lot of athletes kind of focus on one in particular, and then for the most part, they kind of get burned out. Um, what's your recommendation for for kids? Well, I'm so thankful that I was exposed to so many sports and I did them all. And, you know, I obviously still specialized in basketball. I I did it year round um, along with the other sports. But like now I, I play tennis because I played high school tennis and I still play tennis. And I'm so glad, you know, I had that background because I don't know if you've tried to learn anything as you're older. It's a lot harder. I tried to go ski after my basketball career and it was like watching these like second grade, second, third graders just ski, you know, run circles around me on skis. And I'm like, just can barely get on them, but it's just so much easier to learn a sport when you're younger. And so I'm very grateful. And, and I feel like today, like you said, there's a lot of burnout because kids are kind of forced to pick one. And then you're seeing also a lot of overuse injuries at a young age because they're not really doing any cross training. And I, I truly believe those other sports enhanced my main sport and didn't take away from it. Yeah. When I grew up, I think I played five or six sports as well. I did tennis in high school and that was, that's a challenging sport. What is it like learning this? Like a lot of the movements in basketball are quick, just like tennis. Did you pick it up fairly easy or was it kind of difficult? Cause like you said, it's, it's later in your life or I'm sorry, in, in high school. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, tennis um, was a pretty natural transition and I was very fortunate. I started tennis early on because our mm -hmm. high school tennis coach ran a program for us uh, and just we would do these like summer skill sessions and then he'd always have tournaments set up. So I started playing tennis at a, you know, relatively young age. And so, um, and like you said, the, the quickness to start and stopping, that was very similar uh, to basketball, but my strokes weren't always the best because like I didn't, dedicate as much time you know in the summers as a lot of other people I competed against because I was playing basketball but it, it was crazy because I had such a great coach okay by the end of the season I would just run every ball down and be annoying to play because I could just hit everything over um, but then by the end towards like regionals and state like my strokes started getting better because I had such a great uh, tennis coach and then I was 
obviously playing and practicing every single day. So, um, but yeah, but the skiing late in life, that was hard for me to learn because I don't want to be hurt. So I'm a baby. I wasn't fearless anymore. Like you, um, uh, described me on the basketball court and you kind of have to be fearless on skis. And I, I definitely wasn't. Um, in high school, you were just amazing. Everyone talked about you. You averaged, uh, I believe, 46 points a game. Um, so you were obviously being heavily recruited. Um, how many schools were coming out to watch your games and um, growing oh, up? Yeah, the recruiting process was crazy. And um, I'm a, you know, I tend to be a people pleaser. I have a hard time saying no. And so that's not a good combination in the recruiting process. And plus, that there just wasn't at that time anybody that had been heavily recruited in Claflin to, you know, kind of really learn from them and the experience. And I actually, in the fall of my senior year, ended up having 18 home visits in 19 days. And a typical routine would be I'd uh, get up, go lift weights before school. So it was like 6.30 in the morning, 6, 6.30. School would start at 8.15, 8.15 to 3.30, you know, school, 3.30 to 5.30, tennis practice, 5.30, 6.30, cross country, because I was doing two sports in the fall. And then 7 o'clock, the school would come into our home. And because Claflin's so small, we don't have a restaurant. My mom cooked for every single one of those coaches. And then it kind of become, became a community event where uh, people would help out and bring um, casseroles and different things. And um, and then I would, after the school would leave, you know, 10, the latest was midnight. I remember someone staying in my house. And then I would go and, and get my shots up in the gym after that and then repeat, start the whole process over the next day. So it was crazy. And a lot of these uh, schools were flying into Great Bend um, because it's two hours from Wichita and that's the main airport. And literally Great Bend, Kansas only had one rental car. So every day these coaches were showing up in the same white rental car. So it it was quite an experience. And I finally narrowed to four schools. It was Missouri State, UConn, Kansas State, and Oklahoma. And at that point, it was a really tough decision because I felt like all four schools could have been a great fit. Um, and I, true story, I actually called the psychic hotline. I saw one advertised. I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm going to call the psychic. This will, you know, help me with my stress, make my decision. And the psychic is like, well, personally, I'm a Tennessee Lady Vols fan. But since you don't have them on your list, I would say UConn. So needless to say, calling the psychic didn't help. But I was finally able to say, you know what, I want to go to Southwest Missouri State, even though people were kind of disappointed with my decision because they couldn't understand why I would turn down a UConn or go out of state for Kansas State. But, you know, Missouri, Southwest Missouri State, now Missouri State started recruiting me when I was 12 years old and writing me letters before anyone else saw me. And, you know, I started developing a relationship with them. And um, I just felt like I could uh, play in the Final Four there. My family could be a part of the process. And I knew the head coach there, Coach Burnett, would make would drive me to be the best on and off the floor. And that's what I wanted. I wanted somebody to really push me to be my best and bring out my best. Um, now, was your mom cooking special meal, meals for certain <laughs> places that she liked, or was, was it basically all the same except for when people would bring over casseroles? No, I actually am look back on it kind of mortified because I'll never forget when Gino came to my home. Here he is, an Italian. She's like, oh, I'm going to make spaghetti and meatballs. So I'm I'm sure his level of Italian, I love my mom to death, and I, I love her food. But, you know, for her to make 
spaghetti and meatballs for Gina, who's probably had the best spaghetti and meatballs there is to have. Um, you know, it was crazy. And I remember she made a cheesecake, but no, every, every meal was different. You know, we had, um, you know, different casseroles that she'd make or soups and, um, whole nine yards. Every meal would be a dessert, you know, so she went above and beyond. That's for sure. And that's just who my mom is. And that's where I learned my work ethic for both, from both my mom and my dad. They just, they, they do, they're all in on all they do. Um, now playing against those schools you turned down, how were the coaches? Were they nice and receptive after the game or are they a little bit bitter because, you know, you're this amazing basketball player that chose not to go to their school? You know, most every coach was uh, very good about it. Now there was a couple, I remember at the time when I actually said no to them, they, you know, got upset with me. And really, honestly, that just solidified my decision that, you know, they were going to treat me like that. You know, it's hard, you know, being a 17 year old and you're making the biggest decision in your life. Um, but most, for the most part, everybody is very classy about it, which, you know, honestly made it difficult, you know, because it, it, it was hard to tell a lot of the schools no, because you did develop a, a good relationship to, with them through the recruiting process. Um, so now, in in college, what was it like becoming the biggest name in women's college hoops for those four years? Uh, hard to believe. I have to pinch myself. Was that really me? Um, but whenever you accomplish something great like that, it means you have a team of incredible people surrounding you. And I, I could have not. I could not have done that alone. I mean, I, I look back. I was so fortunate. I mean, here my dad was a basketball coach you know, put the ball in my hands at a young age and gave me a good base of fundamentals. And then, you know, my mom working two and three jobs to send me to any camp across the country. Um, and then from, you know, the the tremendous coaches I had from starting in, you know, even in junior high to high school and college, I just had incredible coaches and I had incredibly unselfish teammates that um, knew what my gift was with scoring. And they, set me up to do that, whether it was a great screen or delivering a pass or giving up maybe some of their scoring opportunities for me. I mean, I just, I can't thank all the people enough that helped me live out my basketball dreams. So I guess they kind of kept you grounded during all this in college. <laughs> Almost Having a good team like that. <laughs> <laughs> a funny story. I mean, my mom is great. She, she'll do anything for me and supports me. But I'll, I'll never forget, I called her and I said, hey, mom, I'm getting inducted to this Hall of Fame. And she's like, oh, my gosh, not another Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, she, she, just, she definitely kept me grounded. No, so <laughs> let me get, let, wouldn't let my head get too big, that's for sure. But I just know uh, I was blessed with God-given talent and ability. And um, I just wanted to do my best to maximize it and have uh, no regret um, after my career was over. Now, um, those videos and documentaries coming out and just showing the crowds that would come to these games for you, was that the same in high school? That it was kind of like the Pete Maravich effect that no matter where you went, there's thousands of people in line just wanting to see you play? Yes, it was. And honestly, um, growing up in Kansas and, and playing there with the kind of support I had just drove me to even be better, you know, because to have that kind of support and to have people, you know, appreciate what you're doing, that maybe even want to work that much harder to, to, you know, make them proud. And I mean, it was tremendous. Like, I'll never forget, uh, we hosted the regional finals and we had to play against this team, Little River, who had, 
I mean, I seriously think they had six uh, college basketball players from a little 1A school, and it was just always a war playing them. And so I remember that when we went to shoot around, there was a line all the way that winded all the way out to our tennis court. So this is like nine in the morning. The game is not till six. So they had a line of people because they didn't, they knew it would sell out. So people didn't want to miss it. And so they literally lined up at nine in the morning and I'll never forget that, you know, the fans were already packed in the gym when we go to change and put in our uniforms. And when we walk into the gym, they just erupt. I mean, it, I, it gives me feels like saying the story, but I mean, it was just tremendous. And I, and I remember one substate, uh, it was actually my senior year after we advanced to the regionals, we went to substate and it was in Dodge city and they had basically, because the fans were so crazy, they, you know, how like when you're in, waiting in line for an amusement uh, park ride, there's the winding uh, little gates. Well, they had made winding gates for people like, because like they would, you know, wait in line to get our autographs and stuff. And I mean, this is high school basketball. It, it was it, high, high school girls basketball. It was tremendous, the support that we had. And, and I'm so appreciative of it. Yeah, like I'm just saying that I'm like, holy moly! Like, <laughs> just, just the amount of people that would just stand there and wait for you know a one hour game. Right, I know. So they witnessed it. Like, it's wild. <laughs> now, how many people? Like, obviously, you're getting asked for your autographs constantly. How much time could you dedicate talking to the fans and all that before everyone's like, Jackie, you just you just gotta go. Well, I mean, this is insane, and I, I still think that this really happened, but I would never, ever turn down an autograph, and I, I won't name any names, but I had somebody that I really looked up to not sign something for me, and how that made me feel, I vowed to never, ever, like, turn down an autograph. So, like, my coaches, everybody knew that about me, so I would stand there hours after a game and, and sign. Well, and when I was in college, it got to the point where I couldn't warm up. You know, I'd have people coming out of stands, and, I, you know, I'm like – I can't tell them no, you know, and so they actually hired a a professional bodyguard for me um, because it got that crazy. This was leading up to when I was breaking the record. And so I had this guy following me around, like telling people, you know, so I could warm up and do those things. But it, it was just a crazy scene and something I'll never forget. Yeah. Can you describe your senior year? So you're going into it. I'm sure you're aware that based on how this season goes, that you could possibly break the career points record. Um, so what was it like going through that year knowing they're like, Hey, if I put up such and such points, I'm this much closer. And then um, can you tell us what it was like to be in the NCAA tournament a final time? So, yeah, I, um, unfortunately I cannot escape knowing <laughs> that um, I could potentially break the record. Um, everybody was counting down and, and, and making me well aware of it. But my number one focus is, and always has been is to do whatever it takes to win the game. And, you know, I'm just a fierce competitor and I still am to this day. Something just ignites in me. I, I can't even describe it, but um, so I just wanted to do whatever it took to help the team win. Um, you know, but as I talked about before, you know, my gift was putting the ball in the basket. So that's what I did. But um, honestly, it was a lot of pressure um, and stress. And it was a real relief when that record was out of the way, because then we could truly just focus on what our team goals. And that was to advance to a final four, even though and I bet my high school coach when I signed at Missouri State, I said, I will 
playing a final four. And he's like, I'll bet you a thousand dollars. And unfortunately I'm a thousand dollars richer, but no, I didn't take his money, but I just knew that I believed we could do it at, at Missouri state. And, and it was just, it was nice um, that that record was broke before senior night. Cause I had tremendous other seniors along with me. There was five seniors and I didn't want to take away from their career. So I was glad it happened the, the game before senior night. And then we could really focus on uh, making a run in the tournament. So. Now in that tournament, what is it like to be a small school going up against these top schools that seem to always be talked about going to the final four? What is it like to go against them in such a big scale? Like I'm sure you've had that experience with all these fans and stuff that it wouldn't phase you too much. Well, I'll never forget. Like, and I, I can't believe I said this when you're looking back on it, but we really thought we would get to host the NCAA tournament the first two rounds because at that time, like you know, you know, teams that had a pretty good record and that had a, a good attendance, they were getting to host. And so when so we had this big selection party in Hammond Student Center. And that's where we played at Missouri State and all these fans. And then we see that not only do we not get to host, we have to go all the way to New Jersey and then play a team who is a Final Four team. You know, if we won our first game, we'd have to play Rutgers, who was a Final Four team the year before, had everybody back and had not lost a home game. So we knew that was, like, extremely tough. And then, you know, how sad for our fans who would travel. But to ask them to go to, you know, New Jersey, I mean, that's a long ways. But when I addressed the crowd, I told them that this will not be the last time we play in the state of Missouri because the final four that year was in St. Louis. I mean, I just had that level of belief that we were going to do it. And, you know, no one else thought we could, but it did not matter because all everybody in that locker room believed that we could truly do it. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you're a senior, it can either work for you where you just kind of let it all hang out and just go for it, or you can play tight. And I had just decided mentally, like, I didn't care if I missed 10 shots in a row. I wasn't going to hesitate on the 11th. I was just going to go for it with everything I had to have no regrets, even though obviously there was tremendous pressure because it's your last time. And it was so special being a Lady Berry. You do not want your career to end. So, you know, every game you play could be your last. And and, and I honestly use that as a positive more more than a negative. And it was just an incredible feeling when, um, you know, we're going up against the Duke and no one thinks that we can win. And when we beat them, I knew in my heart nothing was going to stand in our way. And then we uh, beat Washington to advance. And I'll tell you, there's not a better feeling in the world when you accomplish a dream. But more importantly, it was looked at as an impossible dream. And I'll, I'll never forget that moment. It's so special. Um. After after your um, college career ended, you went to the WNBA and was Rookie of the Year. But then just injury after injury, unfortunately, started happening. What was it, meant, what was it like to mentally go through that, that like now you're in the WNBA, you said in second grade, this is a goal of yours. Um, what was it like to get there and then have to like basically sit out? Yeah, it was one of the toughest things I'd went through at the time, extremely tough um, because I had never dealt. I mean, I had a broken wrist my sophomore year in high school, but I had never had the level of injuries that I had really once I turned pro. And, um, you know, I, I remember my second year, I mean, probably my one regret looking back, but I didn't really have the knowledge, you know, to, 
to know to not do this, but I made it through my rookie season relatively healthy. Um, but towards the end, I ended up having a partially torn ligament in my wrist, which is my shooting hand. So I started my second season with a wrist that wasn't bending correctly, which that's my shooting hand. So I'm, you know, getting a lot of repetition, you know, with a stiff wrist and, you know, my follow through, I can't follow through the same. So by playing with that wrist, I then uh, tore uh, my rotator cuff in my right shoulder and also had a partially torn Achilles. And I convinced myself I could play in that season. And looking back, I should have shut it down. Um, but, you know, I was playing, getting shot up with cortisone to try to play, and I was not practicing. And, you know, they, you know, rest me for a couple games and then reactivate me. And a lot of times it would be a player's dream to not practice and play in the games. But I hated that because – I got my confidence through my work ethic, knowing that when I stepped on that court, no one had worked harder than me. And then I would just go out there and play because I knew I'd put the time in. So that was really tough mentally. But um, going through those injuries and not being able to do what I normally did on the court was extremely tough. And and then, you know, obviously when I couldn't play anymore, um, that was a, a, another very tough thing because I just really didn't think about my life outside of basketball. I mean, I put all my eggs in one basket and didn't have a plan for after it. So, and then obviously when it ended a lot sooner than I was envisioning, it was a very tough, uh, tough time. Yeah. But I think putting all your eggs in that one basket is probably what got you there in the first place. Yeah. By, you know, doing all that. So it's, it's, it's a good and a bad thing at the same time, you know, the kind of how I look at it. That without without that it would have been tough. Um, yeah. Because I've I I coach and I see a lot of people that, you know, they want to do it, they want to be like this athlete, but they don't give it the time. And it seems like you you know you're famous for a thousand shots in a day, and I believe is it seven different spots. Yeah. And it's just like that's like the motivation you need. You need to be like all in to get yeah. to that level. Yeah, you're so right. And I, I have zero regrets. I mean, I tell people I'd still be playing if I knew how to take care of my body. It was just different back then. We didn't have the knowledge. And to to do that, like you said, you have to be out of balance and you have to overtrain, especially me. I mean, I'm 5'8". When I walk around, no one's ever said to me, you must be a professional basketball player. I, like, I have never gotten that, you know. So, um, you know, obviously I'm small, you know, and – I had to outwork people um, to be able to reach that level. And, um, but, but like, I know how to take care of my body and over train. I just didn't know back then. And so that would be the one thing I've done differently. I would have known how to take care of my body and I'd still be playing. I just, like I said, I didn't have that knowledge and I have no regrets by putting the time in that I did because the things I got to experience, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't have it any other way, you know, obviously I've, um, experience some incredible highs and some incredible lows, but that's who I am. I'd rather just be fearless and go for it. And yeah, maybe I fail, but by going, by trying to achieve something so great, you, ex- you accomplish more than, than most, you know? And so, um, and then just the people I've met along the, on, along the way, the places I've gotten to travel. And I always tell people, I have never had to get a real job. I mean, basketball pays the bills, you know? So it, it's blessed me so much and I wouldn't trade a thing. Who were the uh, basketball players you looked up to um, when you were growing up? Well, diehard MJ fan, Michael Jordan. I watched, read everything I could get my hands on. I chewed gum and played because he did. I mean, I was obsessed. 
that's an understatement with Michael Jordan. Um, then also um, Larry Bird. I love Larry, Larry the Legend. I would watch highlight videos of him before I, before games. And then my other one that I really idolized after like reading his book was Pete Maravich. And I, when I read about how he thought and how he practiced and I was like, that, that is the closest thing to me. I mean, I felt like I was reading, I was reading about myself. I was like the female version of him now was I as good. No way. But I just, everything he said is what I would say. And then for him, like, I remember I was in college getting ready to, you know, potentially break the all-time scoring record and to read his book and hear how he dealt with that and what that was like before I, I did it. It was just eerie, you know, but I, I uh, definitely also looked up to him as well. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels in your careers looking back at Pete Maravich because I'm a big fan. My buddy got me into him. And, yeah, um, a lot of the stuff he does in his – I don't know if you've seen his basketball – coaching DVDs that he did, I think, a year before he died, is I use those same drills with uh, the kids that I, that I coach. Oh, and, that's awesome. Yeah, and, like, the things he does, like, and I tell him, like, look him up, and they're like, wow, like, someone could do that in the 70s? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's awesome, Mom. Did you try to do any of those flashy skills that he did, in, like, by yourself for hours? Um, well, I was a little different in, in that uh, respect, um, as far as like the flash and the flare, um, because, you know, I'm a coach's daughter and my, you know, I couldn't even spin the ball on my finger because my dad's like, are you going to do that in the game? Then why are you practicing that? You know, and, and I, honestly, that's um, how I train my athletes that I, I give lessons to, as I say, dominate simple. And I said, it's not flashy. It's not, it's not always fun, but you have to be great at the things that you do over and over in a game. And, you know, it, it might not be, pr- you know, real fun taking, um, you know, 500 elbow jumpers, but if that's where you, you shoot the ball most, then that's the shot you need to shoot. Yes, you can practice every now and then some fun moves, so, you know, but you know what, how many, how often are you going to do that flashy move in a game? Probably not very often. So I always say dominate simple, get really great at the things that you do over and over. And it's that repetitive that, I mean, you just have to get repetition after repetition. But as far as like the training, um, what he dealt with when he turned pro, um, the overuse injuries, we all, ha- we had the same injuries. It, it was, it was just really, he was a coach's uh, son. So just a, a lot of parallels. Uh, and, and, but I didn't do the fancy stuff, but I, you know, I, I did love to take deep shots and take a lot of shots. Just, I, I definitely didn't have the ball handling skills that he had. Um, now you said Larry Bird and Michael Jordan were some people you looked up to. They are known historically as some of the best trash talkers of their era. Um, is that something you would describe yourself as, or did you just let your your skills speak for themselves when you played? I never once ever said one word as far as talking trash because if I would, if I did that, I'd probably then bounce the ball off my foot. But um, no, like, and you know, I think I played better mad. And so if somebody would do something dirty or whatever. I would be like, okay, in my head, it is on. You watch out. And one time I got heckled really bad and I had a really bad game. And I told my dad the next that next year I was going to break the state scoring record on him, even though I didn't ever focus on points that game. I did. But um, I always said, you know, just let your game do the talking. And my dad always 
would show he, you know, Barry Sanders was, um, you know, a tremendous uh, running back, obviously, and he was from Kansas. And so when we would watch his NFL games, he would score a touchdown. And my dad would always say, look at him. He, he knows he's the best, but he never shouts it out. He just gives the, the football back to the, the ref. And so he always taught me to be humble. So know you're the best inside, but never shout it out. So that was more um, my mentality. But now late in life, I, like I play pickleball and I talk some major trash, but um, the things that I'm really good at, um, you know, I don't talk trash. And I love to talk trash to my nephews. Like I just won a, an intense game of hot potato. And I said, what is it like to get second? I've never experienced it. You know, I, I, give, <laughs> I give them a bad time all the time. But no, I, I was definitely not a trash shocker um, when I played basketball. Nice. <laughs> um... So let's transition. So you, you've retired from basketball. Um, you became an assistant coach. What was it like going from being the athlete to the coach? You know, it was a very hard road to find my way into coaching. Um, I, I kind of lost my identity when I couldn't play anymore. You know, my self-esteem was pretty much wrapped up to into what I did on the court. And I had to learn that it's not – what I do, it's who I am as a person, but that, that took a while. And looking back, I should have probably had a plan B thought about what I wanted to do after playing basketball. But once I found my way into college coaching, you know, initially I, I just knew, okay, um, this is what I meant to do for this time of my life. And, um, you know, it was really rewarding to show players a move and then see them do it in a game. And, you know, and I enjoyed the competitive aspect of it as, as far as even, you know, winning games, but also in recruiting, trying to get that, that player, trying to win that player from another, another school. Um, but the, the hardest thing I would say is, um, you know, players that weren't competitive, like, you know, that it didn't matter even in a drill and, um, practice to lose. You know, I was just so fiercely competitive and I thought everybody was that way, but I found in coaching, it's not always like that. And then also to see some such talented players at times that didn't have the work ethic and to see like how good they could be if they would devote themselves and, but not everybody wants it like that, wants it like that or, or wants to sacrifice the time to be great. And I just think that, wow, this is such a short window of your life. Playing college sports is so special. And, you know, I just like that. I was like, give it everything you have and it will reward you after the fact beyond your, your wildest dreams. So those were the, some of the struggles I had with coaching. Yeah, I definitely see a lot of that with some of the younger um, girls that I coach is it's like the talent is there if you just give it a little bit of effort. Um, now, granted, they're young, they're, they're sixth to eighth graders. So they have a million different things going on. Right. Um, sometimes when we practice with the boys on the other side, they're looking over there, not even paying attention to the drills going on. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. But um, what I what I did find interesting with them is five minutes after a game, like it's like we'd even play a game. Their mind is somewhere else. Um, is did you notice that for when you were coaching? Is it the same for older women in college with the same thing? Or are they, like, focused after a loss for yeah, hours? That's what I kind of had a hard time with. Like, how can you be all chippery happy on the phone, you know, when we just lost this game? Like, I, I remember it. Co even in coaching, we lost on a 
um, last second shot, basically. And I was a defensive coordinator and I felt like I should have doubled the girl that was literally going off on us and, and didn't, and I chose not to because they had a lot of good shooters on the team. And I swear it took me two hours to get out of my car. I was so upset, you know, but then to see everybody else, like, you know, the players just, just so happy. I mean, I guess it's, it's, it can be good and bad, you know, because, you know, it is good. Like, okay, move on. Let's stay in the present. Okay, nothing we can do about now. Let's learn from it, move on. But, you know, also it's just like, okay, do you, do you care? Cause when you, um, I guess when you put so much into it, then it just gives you this, le- this level of, of care because, wow, I've invested this much time. And then when you, it doesn't go how, you know, you want it to go, it hurts, you know? And so that makes me think, well, maybe they're not all in or not completely invested if it doesn't hurt after they lose, you know? So, um, yeah, I did see that where people could just, players could just forget about it. And I don't know part of that's that club atmosphere because they're playing five and six games in a day, you know, and it's just like, oh, okay, we lost, you know, and, and that kind of carries over. But, you know, where it wasn't like that back then, we didn't have those kind of opportunities like they do now. Yeah, that's a good point because it, it seems like seasons never end. Right. That one just butts up right up to the next one. So they don't have that lull of having having to be forced to think about that last loss for an extended period of time. Um, did when you were coaching, did you ever get challenged by any of your girls one on one for <laughs> to see if they could beat the legend? Uh, you know, no one ever wanted to play me one on one. I don't, I don't know why that was, but, um, because they're like, Oh God, she's horrible. She's got to be horrible now. I don't know. But, uh, no, I, I never did, uh, get challenged, but every now and then I'd step in a drill or two and it was just like something would ignite in me. It just, it would be so fun, but I, I just couldn't do it on a regular basis. And I couldn't be the, the coach that I needed to be, you know, if I was playing, you know, cause I, I needed to be out observing, but, I, I did enjoy the few moments like where, where maybe we were shorthanded during COVID and I had to jump in there a little bit, just got, got to relive my glory days for, for a short time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so looking at today's game compared to when you were, when you were playing, um, people say now they're lacking a lot of fundamentals and stuff. Do you notice that or is that just overreactions from, from from fans well one thing I noticed um that just really surprised me is um for instance at Missouri State and Oklahoma our players got their shot blocked so many times and I'm just like I, I I can't even remember you know five times in my whole career getting my shot blocked and I think that was because I grew up playing hours and hours of one-on-one and now these days we're playing pickup and these days players are just like working with a skills trainer and you're not making decisions. I always think you've got to train the decision-making piece. So it's not just shooting stationary. Okay. You can do that. Well, it's okay. If you're by yourself or you have one person rebound for you, it's okay. You pass on the ball and you yell one, that's you shoot it. Um, Or you yell two and that's one dribble um, off the dribble, shoot it. Like they always have to think and play because that's more game-like. And I think, if you don't play like with the decision making, you don't have the feel of when to shoot because you, you just haven't got those repetitions. And um, so, so I see that where, um, you know, players, um, you know, just are maybe spending their time on things that don't really translate into the game and need to be spending more time on things that 
will translate, you know, with their practice. So. I've kind of noticed um, coaching girls that they beat themselves up a little bit more mentally than guys in the, in the game if they're not succeeding. Um, do you have yeah. any recommendations on how to, how to help um, the youth in a way if they're not succeeding um, in the middle of a game? Yeah, I think that's one of the most difficult things now is the mental aspect that it's not really addressed as, as much as it probably needs to be and trained because the mental part of the game is huge. And, yes, I, I've seen definitely, um, you know, a lot of our players – well, you know, maybe one, they just overthink everything and just don't let it go. And just because I, I feel like to truly be your best, you have to have almost your mind shut off. And that's where that repetition comes in. You know, you've done it so much. It's just innate. Um, so I, I think one of the biggest things is practice like that just gives you this level of confidence that, you know, you put the work in. Um, and then as far as just in the middle of the game, I, I try to get players to be in present, in the moment. That's the only way you can truly be at your best. You have got to shut it down. You cannot think about the play before um, or worried about something in the future. You've got to be in that moment. Um, so it's just trying to get um, players back to what's important now and being present. But I think it all stems from the greatest way to get confidence is to put the work in and do the work. And if you do that, I think it will be natural. Your confidence will come. Do you want to be a head coach in the future or, or are you, are you satisfied um, being an assistant? And Well, so I, I just finished um, coaching at Oklahoma and I'm no longer uh, with a, a college team after coach Cole retired at Oklahoma. I moved to Springfield and I'm starting a couple um, fitness franchises with next gen fitness. And then also um, doing basketball camps and uh, basketball lessons but I think um, one of the biggest reasons um, coaching just was no longer fit is, um, you know, I'm very, um, I know exactly what, you know, is important to me and my values and I make decisions based on that. And in the college in division one, things were changing so much with the one-time transfer rule. Um, you know, it's just so hard to build the relationships that I wanted to, you know, because that's huge for me. And that's one of my biggest wise of, of doing coaching. Um, and now we have the name image likeness is almost like a professional sport, you know? So, um, and then just recruiting, I'm spending hours and hours on the, on the phone, um, on the phone with recruits. And I'm thinking, is there a way, you know, that I can spend more time that's true to my values and I'm, you know, benefiting others. And I just felt like this was, the, you know, a good fit as far as, you know, I get the coaching. I'm so sorry. My phone is going off. My watch is going off. <laughs> Gosh. Um, so I, I just felt like, um, you know, I needed to be uh, true to my values and, you know, get in a place where one, I could have the lifestyle I wanted, you know, you just traveled so much. It was hard. Um, and then I spent a lot of time on things that I don't feel like really matter to me. So, um, this is a better fit where I get to train and, and work with kids and inspire them through basketball that way. And then also have my love of fitness. That's the one constant throughout my whole life. I mean, I was diagnosed with a rare cancer a few years ago and I had to be in isolation for six days with radiation. 
and I brought my bike into the cancer treatment room and it became like a spectacle where all the doctors and nurses had to come see if did I really bring my bike? But I was like, I'm not going six days without a workout. Um, so, you know, uh, so I, I feel like also I can impact people with my love of fitness because I know how much better I am because I, I work out and I want other people to experience that. So I feel like it's just a better use of my time doing what I'm doing now. Now, will I say never? I will never say never. Okay. But right now I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Um, was Sherry Cole, the coach of Oklahoma, did she recruit you back in high school? Was she there then too? Yes, it was really cool. Like, actually, she had just taken the job at Oklahoma, and they about got rid of the program right before she took the job. And I was her very first home visit. And my mom, like, this is how amazing she was. Like, she got in really late in the recruiting process, but you could just tell she was fiery, spunky. You knew she was going to do something special, but she'd never – I coached, you know, and they had, they had such a um, – you know, their program was – like I said, almost given up on. So it it just at that time was too big of a gamble. But my mom, I swear, she never let me live it down. Like she wanted me to choose Sherry Cole and OU. But I I redeemed myself by, um, you know, when I got to work for um, at Oklahoma, my mom forgave me for, you know, not choosing her the first time. But I came to my senses and I chose her the second time. And man, the, the things I learned from working for her in two years, I mean, or more than I've learned basically my whole life. You know, she just taught me so much uh, about leadership and and how to be better each and every day. See, I've seen a lot of clips of, of her as a coach. And I've only heard amazing things about how she is with just the way she sees the game and interacts with people. Oh, off the charts, Mm -hmm. because not only is she just brilliant with X's and O's, Mm -hmm. but the way she can communicate the game is like nothing I've ever seen. I mean, so you put those two things together and it's just, it's phenomenal. And it's like every time I heard her speak, I mean, I'm like listening to these pregame locker room talks and I'm like ready to climb Mount Everest, you know, (laughs) so inspiring i'm like do you guys know like our, to our players i'm like do you know how special this is because it's like every time she spoke it was like she gave a ted talk i i actually nicknamed her td because she's <laughs> that inspiring every time she would speak so um she's definitely the whole package and i was very grateful for the two years that i got to work for her. i i thought it was a little bit soon you know um but you know i'm so happy for her because she's living her best life now yeah, I think she just recently retired. <laughs> yeah, she did. That, that's why I'm no longer coaching. I, you know, I, I when she retired, you know, the, all the whole staff goes, and I decided, you know, it's it's time to to try something else. And, and it's hard. I mean, how do you find a coach to work for like that? I mean, she's just off the charts, you know. So I, I got spoiled in my two years working for her. <laughs> um, now let's circle back. You talked about like you can't go basically a day without working out and doing some sort of fitness. Does that apply when you go on vacation to relax or is this like working out just for you relaxing? Working out for me is relaxing. It is like you breathing or you eating. Like that's how big of a necessity it is to me. Like I know I'm absolutely addicted to it physiologically, even like I will get a headache sometimes if I wait. I can wait till later in the day if I know I'm meeting somebody. But usually I do it first thing in the morning because I know I'm going to get it in that way. But I'll literally get a headache and then I'll go work out and I'll be fine. You know, it's just like... (laughs) 
it, it it would be unrelaxing for me to go on a vacation for seven days and not work out. That would be like my biggest nightmare. <laughs> I'm getting sweats right now thinking about it, okay? <laughs> um, now, when you when you were battling cancer and, and you were in the hospital for six days, how many miles were you were you going on the bike for? Well, so the first few days of treatment, I was super sick. Like I could not move. And I remember like I basically only got a short window of visitors. And so my mom um, would come in and thousands of people sent me cards and I was so sick. And she was walking around the, uh, the hospital room. And I remember thinking to myself, how is she doing that? And will I ever feel good enough to be able to get up? And even go take a shower. You know, I I was just so sick. I can't even describe it. And so I was like that for the first few days. And then, oh, they kind of changed my meds. And, you know, I started to feel a little bit better. So by about the third day, I was able to get on the bike. But I couldn't, like, those first two. I was was just too sick. And, you know, anything with your head, like, you know, I had a big patch on and radiation behind my eye. And and I, I was really, really sick. But, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I did probably two hours on the bike, um, you know, when I finally could get on it. Um, but, yeah, it, it was rough. It was a lot rougher than I was expecting the treatment. Um, yeah. And are, are you fully recovered and everything's fine? Yeah. So I um, I go every six months uh, mm-hmm. for uh, a scan behind my eye and then full body scans because the one unfortunate thing about this cancer is um, 50% of the time it, it, it metastasizes to the liver and usually to the liver and it's fatal. So that's why I have to go get scanned. But, um, you know, as of right now, I don't require any treatment. I just, you know, do the follow-ups every six months and I have lost some vision in my left eye. But, you know, I can't complain. The fact that I have any vision and they were able to do what they did, you know, it's just amazing. They snip a ligament and pull your eye out of your socket and put a radiation plaque sewed on the tumor. I mean, that's incredible, you know, that they can do something like that so I can keep my eye in my head and have some vision, you know. So, um, you know, I'm grateful that um, so far everything's been good with my scans and, and I have a tremendous uh, team of doctors that have helped me through it. Yeah. I'm glad everything is, is okay for that. And, and um, is that something you bring up a lot when you uh, talk for motivational speaking? Yeah, I, I do talk about some depending on um, who I'm talking to and what I'm talking about, but you know, I wouldn't wish cancer on anyone. Uh, you know, it's definitely, tough, but I am actually grateful now because I'm so much better for, you know, having gone through it or, or still going through it. Um, because when you get, I I guess the mortality blessing, it, it really makes you put, um, things, it it makes you get your life organized and lined up, you know, just every day. Did I live, did I love, did I live and did I make a difference? Really? That's all that, that matters. And I prior I prioritize the people in my life and I'm much more present. And the biggest thing that came out about out from it is, man, when I was diagnosed, the rap, the people that rallied around me and the amount of support all across the country, like I know I'll never, ever be able to pay it back, but I am determined to pay it forward. And I at least try to do one small act of kindness a day, even if it's just writing somebody a card or sending them a text. I mean, you don't realize the impact that has on someone. So I just, 
I try to do that. And then I always try to challenge other people to do it. Um, when I speak, you know, just if everybody just once walk of kindness a day, how much better our world will be because you did that and takes no time at all. And, but it has a huge impact. Yeah. I like that. Um, I'm off to re-listen and write, write that stuff down. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> um, when I was double checking everything, just to make sure I had all my ducks in a row for this interview, I noticed you have a documentary coming out called the Jackie Styles story. Um, can you tell us a bit about, um, about this film? Um, I'm sure they probably have caught up to you and do what you're doing now, but what was it like having, getting a phone call saying, Hey, we want to do a documentary on, on the life of Jackie Styles," and then just making, having this be made about you. Yeah, it was wild. I remember I got an email from Brent Huff. Um, he said he's a movie producer and would like to do a movie about my life. I'm like, really? Is this guy legit? You know, you know, and so he sent me some of the stuff he did. Like he's done some 30 for 30s for ESPN. I'm like, this is legit. And it came at one of the most chaotic times of my life because I literally had just Lost my job at Missouri State because Kelly Harper went on to Tennessee. We made the Sweet 16. So I'm now transitioning. I'm having to sell two homes here in Springfield, move to Oklahoma, take on a new job there. So this is when he does his first interview. I remember he came uh, to Springfield right before I moved. Um, and then it was like over a two-year process because COVID kind of slowed things down with getting certain interviews and stuff. But man, I, I still, I'm like, really, there's a movie about me. And the crazy thing is it's being premiered March 1st in Springfield at the Glorious Theater. Theater, And there's two showings, a 3.30 and a 7.30. And I don't get to view it before. So I get to see it when everybody else sees it. So talk about nerve wracking. Whoa. And talk about uncomfortable to not only have to watch a movie about yourself once, but I got to do it twice. <laughs> so, but, but no, I'm very um, grateful for Brent because he has done an outstanding job and I hope his, his work gets um, noticed because he, he is tremendous first class in every way. Yeah. I saw the uh, four minute preview and it gets you motivated. You're like, yeah, I want to go out right now and just start shooting hoops and, and play. And I noticed you had some, they had some really big names in there. Um, I saw Roy, Roy Williams was in there and I was like, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm a huge Roy Williams fan. Probably not the same reason Rock Chop Jayhawks, but for me, <laughs> so I get it. But yeah. no, he's a class act. And the fact that he took time uh, to do that, um, you know, meant a lot. And so many people volunteered their, volunteered their time to be a part of the movie. And, and I, I really appreciate that, but no, um, it's, it's wild that there's going to be a movie, um, about me and I have to sit there and watch it twice. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, now, do you know, will it be on like Netflix or something that everyone will be able to eventually see? So the process is I've learned a lot now about the documentary world and the movie making world, but, um, so he'll premiere at Springfield because uh, for obvious reasons, you know, the tremendous support that I had here. Um, and then he actually just contacted his first, um, film festival, um, um, Stony Brook. And so then it'll go to a film festival and then hopefully, you know, people then will pick it up like a platform, like an HBO or an ESPN, um, and, and the main reason I want that to happen is one, 
I want him uh, to get credit for all the tremendous work he did because he doesn't get make a dime unless it gets picked up, you know. And then um, also, if me sharing my story helps one person, then it was well worth it because I just truly feel like our greatest legacy is every human life we impact for the better. And if I could help one person through that movie, then it was worth it. That's great. I can't wait to um, follow up and see and see if we can get it um, to definitely make sure that my uh, girls watch it. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. <laughs> well, at least I'll know I'll have somebody watch it <laughs> in the boys theater. <laughs> um, just, just a few more questions as we uh, wrap up this episode. Um, just a whole bunch of random questions. One on one, who would win Jackie styles or Jackie moon? If you know who Jackie Moon is, <laughs> uh, you know, my name ring a bell. I, vaguely, um, yeah. You, the movie Semi Pro with Will Ferrell. Oh yes, yes, yeah, yes. That's that's Jackie Moon. <laughs> okay, well I'm going to say uh, Jackie Moon now because I, you know, I've got one eye and you know it's brutal now. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, what is your favorite meal? Oh gosh, okay. Okay, I got two because I can't narrow it down. Need moderation. All right. So it's my mom's turkey meal that she makes. Well, we make her make it for every holiday um, because she does like her, you know, her turkey, obviously, but she does stuffing and then she does something that no one else does around in the roaster. She puts rice and it's flavored by the dripping. So then we have the turkey, mashed potatoes, rice, you know, big, huge Texas sized doughy rolls. I mean, this Kansas corn. I mean, it's the most incredible meal. So that would be my home cooked meal. And then I always tell people my last supper place to eat at would be the Dewdrop in uh, Pueblo, Colorado. And it has the world's best pizza. So hands down pizza, I could eat it every single meal if I let myself. So, so those are two things that pop in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Was there a pregame song that you always listen to? You know, I listen to right now, Van Halen, uh, Rocky. Um, let me think. Oh, uh, yeah. this is kind of hip hop. I, I don't even know the title of it. I'm a baller, shot caller. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I listen to that. Um, so those are a couple of the, the songs that I listen to. <laughs> yeah, the Rocky, because um, I grew up near the Philadelphia area. So Rocky is such a big thing over here. I mean, we have a statue in Philadelphia of Rocky. Hey, you know what? Interesting story. I went to get a second opinion in Philly for my eye cancer um, because they have the guru of eye of ocular melanoma in Philly. And my mom and I toured while we were there, and we that was a must. We went and we took a picture by the the Rocky uh, statue. And actually, when I got inducted to the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, you pick a song and and you have someone walk you down. So I had my dad walk me down, and I picked the Rocky theme song for my song. So, cause it kind of fits, I'm, you know, underdog always throughout my whole career. I'm, you know, five H shortest two guard in the WNBA and then from, you know, town of 600 people. So, um, Rocky, you, I, there, I don't watch many movies twice, but I've seen all those Rocky movies numerous times. Um, so, so very inspired by that story. Um, genre of movies that you like to watch. I like about any movie except like really crazy scary movies don't like don't care for those but you know i love a good love story good chick flick i love an uh, intense you know suspenseful movie so 
I, I really don't. Um, you know, I, I'll watch anything. You know, that's that's good. So, is there any uh, TV show right now that you're binge watching? Oh man, it, I hate to admit it's a little dark, but I watched Ozark. It was, it was, it's good. It, it's so intense. Um, yeah, gosh, what else have I have I watched recently? Um, that that one popped in my head right away. I, I always watch the Hard Knocks. Like I like those the sports uh, shows. So so that was the first one that came to my mind. But I watched oh I watched like Breaking Bad. I watched you know several good ones. Oh Friday Night Lights. So yeah, I, I've been I, I work out and I watch uh, shows and movies. So that's how I get my TV watching in. <laughs> um, your favorite era in history that you wish you could have experienced. Oh, you know what? My favorite was because I'm such a basketball fanatic and I feel like it's not the same sense. It's just watching Michael Jordan play. I mean, it, I wish I could have not missed a single game because now I can't watch it. Or I don't have the love for it. Like I watched in the NBA, like I did when I watched him. And I don't know if it was my age or what, or just who he was, but man, that was, that was so exciting. And I, I would have seen him play in person. I would have made, found a way to do it because I never got to do that. I um, I ended up recording his final game because it was in Philadelphia. And I have it on a VHS, and I'm like, I can't, <laughs> can't yeah. even watch it anymore. Yeah, unfortunately, it's like I know. <laughs> so. um, one skill that you want that you haven't, um, that you do not have yet. I wish I was really good on computers, like with Excel and. Uh, you know, like spreadsheets. I, I just really wish I was good with numbers uh, and had the patience to sit in front of a computer. And and I wish I was very efficient with that. It would help me out so much because pretty much have to hire all that done because I'm so terrible. Um, but yeah, I wish, I wish I was just like a whiz on computers and could do spreadsheets and was good with numbers. You know, so so those are the things I always I, I tell people I, I spent hours perfecting a skill that no longer serves me. So that's a little <laughs> unfortunate. <laughs> So. Yeah, I, I feel the same way when it comes to computers and stuff. And uh, my girls, they saw my cell phone. I have a flip phone. And they, oh, <laughs> and they make fun of me. And they're like, how can you do that? I'm like, I'm just not a computer type of person. Yeah, I'm <laughs> but, either. I just have no patience. So. Yeah, and I realize how much like I need it. <laughs> yes, but, and even more every day, yeah. you know, how it's changing. Yeah, um, just, just uh, two more questions. Land air or sea which one is your favorite land <laughs> land definitely land yeah i wasn't sure you know you being from kansas you <laughs> it's a lot of land there <laughs> I, I love me some land i feel right at home with land <laughs> and and the last one if you could have one superpower um what would it be oh that's a good one. Oh man what would I want to do? Oh, shoot. That, that's, that's <laughs> gosh. I, th- I think it would be great to just, like, be, you know, completely healthy and have my, like, the, the greatest athleticism. Like, you could just do, I could do anything athletically, not hurt. You know, I could run for hours. Like, you know, because I still love, like, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, I love 
activity. And if I could find another sport to do for a living, that's what I want to do. Like I'm just the, the most lit up when I'm like maybe competing for a half marathon or playing pickleball in a tournament, you know, I just love that, but my body, you know, can't always do that day after day. So it would be something along the lines of that, I would say, or be fun to read people's minds too. That'd be very convenient, you know, (laughs) so to, to be able to see like in the future or, you know, something like that. So. Well, uh, thank you, Jackie, um, for jumping on the podcast and giving us your time and, and just your experiences. And I think they will, they will change all these listeners, um, their futures, especially if they, if they take note and like what you said with, um, just, just one act of kindness a day and the wonders it can do and just your background. So thank you for that. Um, Thank you for all that have listened. Again, you can find us on the podcast on everything.com or just any major platform uh, this podcast is at. Um, So thank you once again, Jackie, for jumping on this podcast and giving me your time. All right. Well, hey, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And keep uh, doing the good work that you're doing. Thank you. And... um,